Now we know that finding the perfect non-alcoholic drink can sometimes feel like a major challenge, but we've discovered something that's about to knock your socks off and your taste buds too. Go Brewing. Did you know Go Brewing was rated number one, number one, Michaela, for non-alcoholic beer in the country and rightly so. Fun fact. All of their beers fall under the gluten-free guidelines, so you won't get that gross, bloated feel that you sometimes can get when you're drinking, let's be honest. Plus, all their brews without fruit have less than one gram of sugar. Because we want to feel sexy and sober and have fun, Go Brew is the perfect choice for us. And who says beer isn't sophisticated? When you could just put it in a champagne glass like I do. My favorite at the moment is the Sunshine State Tropical IPA from Go Brewing. It's the mango and peach flavor. As a listener, you can save 15% by going to brewing.com slash sobergirls or by using the code sobergirls. Plus, get a free two-day shipping on orders of $40 or more. Again, go to brewing.com slash sobergirls or use our code sobergirls for 15% off. Okay, can I be honest here? Yes. I used to rely on alcohol for a lot of things, including managing my PMS symptoms like anxiety, irritability, feeling blue, ugh, huge mistake. However, as a sober girl today, that is obviously not an option, but have no fear. Ladies, we found a solution to our PMS woes, alcohol so not needed. Enter Jubilance, your daily support and new BFF when it comes to true and effective PMS relief. It's so simple. Just take one capsule a day and keep your symptoms at bay. If you're interested in trying it, you can use the code SOBERGIRLS for $10 off your first order. I've noticed I have more energy, focus, less cravings, and my mood feels so much more balanced. Jubilance is a non-hormonal available over-the-counter and powered by two-ingredient formula used by thousands of women worldwide to live PMS mood symptom-free. Think less anxiety, less irritability, more peace, power, and dare I say, fun all month long. Try Jubilance for $10 off by visiting jubilance.com forward slash sobergirls or use the promo code sobergirls at checkout. That's J-U-B-I-L-A-N-C-E dot com slash sobergirls for $10 off. Welcome to the Two Sober Girls podcast. I am your host, Michaela. I'm here with my co-host, Erin. And as health and wellness coaches and mothers, we're on a mission to guide you towards optimal health, lifestyle, and beauty, sparking a journey of sexy, sober, and limitless living. In today's episode, we're thrilled to have a special guest, Dr. Brooke Scheller, joining us to discuss her insightful book, How to Eat to Change How You Drink. And this topic holds a special place in our hearts as we believe in the transformative power of nutrition to reshape our relationship with alcohol. Amen. Brooke Scheller is a doctor of clinical nutrition, nationally recognized health expert, and the founder of Functional Sobriety, a nutrition-based program for alcohol reduction. And I want to just start off and say how impactful your book has been for me. I loved reading it like the past week and a half and just learning more about the science of like behind alcohol consumption. I think we all need to know this stuff, especially like beginning of your journey. I think society just glamorizes alcohol so much. And I think we just have that ingrained in our mind. And I think once we learn what it actually is and what it does, not just like on a hangover level, but like actually what it does to our gut health and our brain um, and your approach to breaking down the role of nutrition in sobriety journey is truly incredible. So I can't wait to dive into this. And um, so this is going to be an amazing episode. And we also have questions from some of our listeners. So we'll do that towards the end. So make sure to stay tuned. So to start, can you tell our listeners a bit about yourself and your journey and what led you to write, like writing this book? Yeah, well, thank you both so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here today and to have this conversation. And I'm so ecstatic to hear, you know, the impact that it's made already on people who have been reading it. And, and as we talked about when we first kind of got on this call, like this is the book I wish I had when I first got sober, but I also think it's so helpful to, regardless of where you're at in your journey, even if you're a year in, two years in, six months into your alcohol-free or sober curious journey, that these are tools you can implement for life. And these are things that are really going to help educate you and kind of reinstill this notion that alcohol really is not good for us. 
It is affecting all these different areas of our body. And exactly like you said, Michaela, like we've been, we've been told differently for so long, you know, that alcohol, because of this previous, you know, potential benefit that it had, there's a health halo, or we've kind of deprioritized how impactful it really is on some of these core systems of the body. And even just talking about the gut, for example, the way that alcohol affects the gut. I mean, I know people, and I've worked with clients for over 10 years that I've had people coming in that it's taken them years to get better gut health or to improve their gut health. And they weren't thinking about alcohol's role that it was playing. So for me, this was really, it it came from my own experience in getting sober in the spring of 2021. And I was someone who, by the time I quit drinking, I was a daily or almost daily drinker. I didn't always, I wasn't always that way, but I always was a heavy drinker. And the irony is that I was also a doctor of nutrition. And in my training, even, we didn't really talk about alcohol or, you know, how to address it from a more global perspective for our health. I think a lot of what healthcare practitioners and um, wellness providers have learned about alcohol has much to do with addiction. And if someone is maybe identifying as having an addiction, but really not talking about the fact that it is playing a role in things like hormone imbalances and GI disorders or issues with digestion or issues with skin or issues with mental health and anxiety, like alcohol affects it all. So when I kind of had this awareness early on in my sobriety journey that no one was talking about this, Uh, I I felt like I didn't have a choice to write this book. Like it just, it came and, um, and all of the doors kind of open and unfolded for it to become real and tangible. And it's wild to be able to like hold it now and be like, oh my gosh, this is like, it happened. So it's been really amazing. And I've just been loving the feedback and the response so far. It it. is. Yeah. It is such a good book. I love the approach of like all different layers, you have the science, you have, um, you know, the nutrition part, your recipes, all of the things, but I want to know, can you share with us a surprise, like any surprising findings or revelations Mm. that you came across while researching or writing your book? Yeah, I love this question. I get this one often. And, you know, for me, it, there wasn't anything that was so like, aha, it was more of going through this process what was more of an aha for me was almost how in the the world that we live in today, we are talking a lot about gut health. We're talking a lot about hormone balancing. We're talking a lot about cortisol. We're talking a lot about these hot topics in health and wellness and nutrition. And we're really not talking about the impact that alcohol has on it. So what surprised me most is that there's actually a good bit of research on how alcohol affects things like the gut and the gut microbiome, how it affects the lining of the gut and can contribute to leaky gut or intestinal permeability, about how alcohol drives cortisol, how it affects fertility, how it affects menopause symptoms. And what was most surprising to me is that no one was pulling this information together and saying, hey, (laughs) if you really want to improve these parts of your body, this is something that you need to consider. And again, previously, we only really talked about it from a perspective of if you were identifying yourself as having a drinking problem. And unfortunately, the society that we live in has also glamorized alcohol. So we've really kind of separated these two pieces. And really not until this book and until now are we starting to pull them back together and say, we can't have good health in these areas if alcohol is part of the puzzle too. Oh my God, I have to jump in. I'm like, my, my soul's like, yeah. So, and I, so many things there and you're right. Everyone is in their corner. This is my solution. This is my, nobody connects and you've connected them so powerfully and beautifully. And in a way you've brought something that's really can be so complicated to make it simple and beautiful. I'm like, you pick this up and I'm like, this is like Bible, like everyone. So I am an AA. I went to rehab. This should be in every room of an AA. This should be in every rehab. It is such a disservice. Like I could scream. I could scream at what I see and what I've experienced and how I coming from that camp who I do have an addiction, but my addiction is also physical. My body and brain absolutely were so depleted. I didn't have the power to choose at the end. 
had I'd had this and understood the connection of rebuilding my gut microbiome to boost my neurotransmitters, to change what I crave, to eat more protein, I could regulate my nervous system. I had no idea, but yet I went to a rehab where you just get separated from the substance and you are offered sugar. Like it's, it's so bananas to me, but this really is forever. So I guess my point being, if you are me and you're an AA and you identify as having the addiction, or if you're like a Michaela and you wanted to cut back, you were able to moderate to then go to nothing. Everybody needs this book. This is how to actually love your body, nourish your body and understand what alcohol has done. Alcohol has ravaged every system of your body. Alcohol, and this is something that you said on another podcast. And I was like, oh, I love this. Um, you, you said, remember, alcohol is actually poisoning our nervous system. Mm. Poisoning. You know, so it's a toxic substance. Like we don't say this enough in our culture. And then everyone's trying to regulate their nervous system, but still having that wine at night or whatever. And so just mm. getting this message out and the, you know, you also said this, and I think this could, should, we should say this all the time. Every human being qualifies for an alcohol-free life. It's not meant for human consumption. I'm sorry. There's, there's- yeah, I, I really think like restaurant menus with alcohol should have like poison, <laughs> not alcohol, but like different yeah. types of poison. Well, even on the, on the label, right? So this is something as we move maybe more toward alcohol being the next tobacco. So like some of the regulations that they created to limit tobacco or to inform people about the damages or the dangers of tobacco consumption were putting warning labels on them, right? Right now, the only warning label that exists on alcohol bottles are do not drive, do not operate heavy machinery and do not drink while pregnant, right? Well, if alcohol is toxic for a pregnant, for a baby, right? Well, it's, we have to assume it's toxic for the person too. But something that you said, Erin, that I always love talking about, and and it's like a reminder that I like to give to people is about it being a poison to our nervous system. And basically the way I explain this is that when we feel drunk, the sensation of feeling drunk or feeling tipsy, that is the effect of our nervous system being poisoned. So that that tipsiness or that, you know, the reason why we can't drive, we can't walk in a straight line is because our nervous system is being poisoned, right? So when we say it in that, it, I know it sounds so extreme, but this is the truth and the matter of what is actually happening, that feeling, that sensation, we're kind of getting this short-term relief, but it's creating all of these, this kind of cascade of effects on all of these different systems of our body. And as you mentioned, the challenge is that we have misinformed the public of what alcohol is doing. We have um, led people to believe it's potentially healthy, right? And now we're having to backtrack (laughs) and inform people that actually those benefits that created this health halo are not necessarily true. And that actually alcohol is damaging to all of these systems. And you may have actually done a lot of damage that unfortunately has created a lot of the issues that the American public and the world is struggling with today, including things like cardiovascular disease and cancers, and even the epidemic with mental health and anxiety and depression. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting because reading your book, I resonated with your story with starting to drink at an early age. And I like how you said that because you started at an early age, like I started drinking at like 14, I was blacked out many times at that. Like, it was just crazy that, And the reason why I picked up, and I'm sure maybe you and others, is because of some trauma and a dysregulation of the nervous system. So if you're already coming with that state of a dysregulated nervous system, your brain is still developing, and now you're adding an alcohol on top of that. It's like, holy moly, Mm -hmm. it's it's a lot. It's a lot for the system. And then, you know, you as you're growing, growing up and you're seeing this like glamorized, like I, I remember going to New York city and to clubs and I'm like, this is like, it looks so fabulous and like amazing. And I just like, I enjoyed it for like a short period of time. And then it was just like such a downer that I'm like, this is, this is not okay. And I always knew that at my core, you know, and luckily I was able to find like other coping mechanisms. So that was able to like weave that part out, but like, oh my gosh, can you speak on that? On like early drinking yeah. 
And, yeah, and, and I, well, what, what you were saying is like, you didn't learn how to drink responsibly. That's what it was. You said that like, when you do it at an early age, like you just don't learn to just have a glass of wine with dinner. That never was the case for me. Yeah. Well, because you're, we're children. We didn't know. I mean, we were children as teenagers, right? We didn't know. No one taught us. So especially because you're doing it, you know, not under the advice of, of an adult, you don't know what to do with it, right? You don't know how much to have. Like I can name friends of mine that had their stomachs pumped and had alcohol poisoning. And, you know, that's because you have children with this toxic substance and, you know, not, not being taught what to do with it. And unfortunately, um, I talk about, well, not unfortunately I talk about in the book, but in the book, I talk about some research about how the earlier that we drink, the earlier that we reinforce this belief or this connection in the brain between alcohol and pleasure. So when we start drinking younger and we start um, using alcohol to associate with fun, with um, socialization, these kind of other um, reasons that we use alcohol, the more we reinforce that as adults, right? So if we start doing that at a younger age, it's more likely that we're going to end up associating alcohol with fun and pleasure and all of that in adulthood. So the earlier that we start this behavior, the more we're just kind of reinforcing it in our adult life. But also there's a lot of interesting, you know, associations that I've made after the fact of how so many things influenced alcohol's perception in my mind as being something adult-like or mature, right? We watched shows like The Real World and, you know, all of these things that- Sex in the City. city. Yeah, definitely. They glamorized alcohol and made it this thing that, you know, is part of what it's like to be an adult or to be successful or to be beautiful, right? That alcohol is a part of all of that. And I say that to challenge people too, to think about like their early influences with alcohol and what they kind of perceived and how that influenced alcohol behavior in their adult life. Because not everyone has the same behaviors around alcohol too. But if you ask them, usually what they've perceived, whether that's from family, from TV, from what they were exposed to, it's usually pretty different. So it's really fascinating to look back at how those early behaviors influence our adult life. Definitely. that is a bunch of adults with highly dysregulated nervous systems trying to regulate with poison. Um, and I'm like, when you were saying that, I'm thinking back to like, well, what my messaging was, you're stressed out, mom, have a glass of wine. Everything's better with wine. I'm so much happy. All these lies or, you know, family events. We just, what we do when we socialize, this is, um, I can deal with difficult people. Alcohol to me was a solution. And then, so what the hardest part was finding real solutions, which like, this is basically what you wrote here, which is these solutions to everything that you're deficient in. And something that I thought was, I was blown away and like, oh, your supplement packs are brilliant. I'm like, I'm like, should they should be like a sleeve of these in like AA meetings because everyone is deficient and they don't, again, you're not putting together like um, relapse is largely due to the deficiencies, physical deficiencies. And, you know, and, but we always are focused on the morality part. So I'd love for you to speak on that because that's something I wrestle with. I've spoke to Michaela about this like a million times. People mm-hmm. would say to me, what's wrong with you? Like, why can't you just stop? And I felt like I was like, I'm a moral, moral failure. I'm a bad person. Like, what is wrong with my soul? And yeah. nothing to do with my soul. Well, and part of... Part of what inspired me to come forward with this work and bring this more to light is that we talk a lot about the solutions from a mental health perspective, addressing trauma, community, you know, rehabilitation or AA or other types of communities that can support. But we're completely leaving out the fact that there is a physiological body (laughs) that is part of the puzzle here. And that alcohol affects the physiological body. And so how do we take that into consideration? Because exactly like you said, Aaron, that we kind of say, well, oh, well, this person is, you know, helpless or this person keeps relapsing and we don't know why. My question is, well, what's going on in the body, right? Because is there something else that's going on that needs to be addressed? 
if we've tried some of these other solutions and they haven't worked, it is unlikely that this person is just is broken, quote unquote, or that they have something wrong with them. There's probably something else going on. And actually, something really interesting that a lot of people don't know is that with AA, prior to Bill W's death, he had actually started researching things like NAD which is vitamin B3 therapy, which can be used uh, intravenously or supplementally to help with addiction or addictive behaviors. Um, And unfortunately, after his death, this never got carried forth, right? But something that's really interesting is they were talking about vitamin therapy as an adjunct to, as a therapy to support people because they started recognizing through a lot of the early research how important the B vitamins are to the nervous system and how much alcohol affects B vitamin status. So one of the things that I talk about in the book that you both know is the impact in nutrients across the board. But this is something that we have to consider when we are in recovery or when we're looking to change alcohol behaviors, because things like our B vitamins affect our mood, our energy, Uh, If we're deficient, we can have anxiety or depression. And so, well, but why do we drink? Because we're anxious and depressed, right? So it creates this vicious cycle that if we use supplementation to support, we can actually kind of put a kink in the chain there and and hopefully change behaviors. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Okay, Michaela, I am fully frustrated with my kids, whom I love more than life itself. However, as their mom, I feel like an absolute failure, and I can't seem to find the time to get us all organized and even have meaningful conversations. I feel like everyone is so busy. I'm so overwhelmed, so drained. Help me. Yes, get that off your chest. As the busy mom, I get it. I have found that when I am stressed and feeling stuck, the best thing to do is ask for help. Perhaps book a therapy session. Therapy is for everyone, every human desiring to feel better, live better, and learn how to solve life's most pressing problems and concerns in real time. If you are thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and very convenient. All you do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you could switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash SoberGirls today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash SoberGirls. Sorry, got muted. My cat was meowing. So I'm like, (laughs) let's pause her. Okay, so let's get into how do lifestyle and nutrition play a role in transforming one's relationship with alcohol? And then... How can we all incorporate your nutrition-based strategies into our daily routines to promote sobriety and just also overall health, like well-being? And are there specific additional vitamins besides the B vitamins and minerals that we need in our diet? Yeah, so great question. And one of the kind of first and foremost recommendations that I give across the board is From a nutrition perspective, one thing that we can do to help with cravings, not only for alcohol, but also for sugar, which we know pops up as the second kind of whack-a-mole there, is increasing protein intake throughout the day. And this is because many of us who have a history of drinking also experience hypoglycemia or low blood sugar. And this is because alcohol, the way that alcohol affects the liver can impact how our body releases hormones like glucagon and insulin that actually regulate our blood sugar levels. So more often than not, I find in clients that I work with one-on-one, but also this is in the research too, that we, those of us with heavy drinking history can have hypoglycemia. We tend more towards these dips in blood sugar that when we have a low blood sugar, we all know what that feels like. It's that hangry feeling. It's that um, Snickers bar commercial example where, you know, we're irritable, we are going to chew someone's head off until we get something to eat. And what that is, is it's a manifestation of our body needing something to elevate blood glucose to a normal level so that we can think and we can function. When we are in that state of low blood sugar, we need either carbohydrate, sugar, or what else can help boost short term at least is alcohol because alcohol contains carbohydrates and sugar. So it's going to increase that blood sugar uh, for the short term. So what we want to do is we want to avoid getting into a state of low blood sugar. We can do this by increasing our protein intake throughout the day. So making sure that every meal and every snack contains a source of protein in it. 
But the other core thing to remember here too, is you don't ever want to go long periods of time in between meals and snacks. So I usually suggest having something to eat every three to four hours. That's going to, again, help keep us from falling into that low blood sugar trap. So those are kind of two really easy to implement things that everyone who's listening can do right now, again, to help avoid that um, craving for not only alcohol, but also the sugar. And it does work. It does work. I started incorporating protein maybe six months ago and like what a difference it makes or even my mood regulation, just yep. feeling stable and just really grounded. Um, I yep. really enjoy that. Yep. And, and one I w- thing I'll just jump in to, sh- to say, in addition to that is, especially if you are someone who struggles with the afternoon and having cravings either for alcohol or sugar in the afternoon time, my first question to people is always, when was the last time you had something to eat? Because usually it was lunch, it was five or six hours ago, um, or maybe it was something higher carb a few hours before, that when we get into that state where we're really feeling challenged with a trigger or a craving for alcohol or sugar, it's usually the, that manifestation of low blood sugar. So if nothing else, an afternoon snack, four, five o'clock, six o'clock, whenever that trigger time is for you, can be really, really instrumental in overcoming that and not having to feel like you have to rely on willpower. Right. So that's a really great tool, especially in the beginning, making sure you're getting enough protein morning, afternoon, even having a light protein snack will help to curve those cravings. Uh, And I also like to add in actually writing down your new evening routine that you want to have something exciting for you that you know, does not involve alcohol because a lot of times it's like such a routine thing that people do. It's like either wine with cooking or going out to dinner and having a glass of wine, like actually visualizing a new way of living and being. And the nutrition will support that as well with you. So you're not going to be like, oh my God, white knuckling it. Absolutely. Yeah. So I wanted to jump into the three drinking archetypes that you have in the book. And I identify as a social drinker. And I know if I continued, I would progress into, you know, the other stages. And uh, can you speak a little bit on them? And um, yeah, I would love to know more. Yeah. Yeah. So I was inspired to talk about these because in my own experience, I identified as a habitual drinker. And most of the people who go into AA or, you know, maybe explore full sobriety are people who identify with maybe that more extreme end of drinking most days or every single day. But what I found was when I started hosting programs, Sober Octobers, Dry Januaries, et cetera, in the fall of 2021 and into early 2022 was that there was also a lot of people who were interested in sobriety or quitting or cutting back that were not daily or almost daily drinkers, but they were more of these social drinkers and that they were unlikely to explore any of the sobriety programs because they didn't have that kind of standard notion of you know, the daily drinking, but they were still struggling, right? They still needed help and they wanted support in cutting back. And so my question always as a scientist is, but why? Like, why is it that my body wants to drink every single day or Aaron's body wants to drink every single day, but Michaela's only wants to drink in these social situations, like physiologically and biologically, like what's going on there, right? This is my nerdy science brain. And so I started thinking about this from this other perspective of like, well, how do we start to maybe group these people together based on physiologically what's going on in the body? So that's kind of what birthed these three drinking archetypes. So the social drinker, Michaela's archetype, is someone who drinks mostly on the weekends, maybe a few times a week or a few times a month, but they feel like... um, it's in social settings, not really by themselves or in any any situation like that. But they feel like once they start, they can't stop, that they have trouble saying no to these social situations. But also once they have that first drink, they're kind of off to the races, right? They can't really, don't really have control in that, in that end. The second drinking archetype is the stress drinker. 
And this is someone who drinks mostly for stress reasons. They drink because of, um, you know, a tough day at work or a heavy work schedule. They drink because of stress in relationships or family. And most of their kind of decision or desire to drink roots around stress and regulation of that nervous system. And then the third drinking archetype is the habitual drinker. And this is someone who's more maybe classically quote unquote alcoholic or problem drinker in that they're drinking more like daily or almost daily. And the habitual drinker is drinking out of all situations. It's social, it's stress, it's boredom, it's loneliness, it's you name it. And the drink is the solution for that. And so there's a little bit more of an addiction or a physiological desire to drink maybe than someone who is a social drinker. So these, again, were really just to help others define or or identify with a pattern of drinking that isn't necessarily just around, you know, that you have to be an everyday drinker. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so what advice do you have for someone who is considering adopting a sober lifestyle, whether they are a social drinker or habitual, um, but they don't know where to begin? Yeah. So in the book, I talk about weaving these archetypes into the nutrition recommendations. So across the board, many of the nutrition recommendations are going to be beneficial for all people, right? However, someone who's more of a stress drinker is going to have more of a need for some of this um, this nervous system regulation. They're going to have maybe a little bit more of a need for support on their cortisol levels and balancing their cortisol levels. Someone who's a habitual drinker, on the other hand, is going to be much more in need of some of the nutrient replenishment that we talk about because they're likely much more deficient in some of the nutrients. So really the goal with the book is to kind of help you determine what your archetype is and then utilize that as the tool throughout the book to get the support that you need and really apply these recommendations to the lifestyle that you're living today. I love Beautiful. that. Beautiful. And what what were some of your initial things that you started doing when you decided to be alcohol free? What things worked for you? Yeah, so I Now, the irony is that prior to getting sober, I had also written a chapter in a textbook that was on integrative approaches to substance use disorders. So I was in like the last nine months of my drinking, and I'm also working on this book. This this is so ironic, the way that everything kind of (laughs) unfolded. And, um, And so when I quit drinking... Uh, only a few months later, I utilized some of the tools that I had researched for that book. That was a lot of the influence behind um, this book, right? Of like, oh, there is actually a lot of research behind this. And so some of the things that really helped me were supplements that helped with cravings. So part of why I launched the functional sobriety supplement packs is because I get questions about supplements a lot. Supplements are a really confusing topic. Even if you're someone who's an expert, there's always something new to learn about. And so part of the reason why I designed the packs was to make it easy for people to implement supplements and utilize supplements as a tool. And one of the things that I utilized a lot of was amino acids. And amino acids can be really good for regulating cravings for sugar and for alcohol. They can also be good for helping to boost GABA in the brain, which is the kind of the body's relaxing neurotransmitter. And so the part of what influenced my craving pressure supplement, which is something that you can take on an as needed basis if you're having a craving, is that I have a very specific moment. I was probably a couple of days sober and was really struggling one afternoon. And I took out my L-glutamine and my L-theanine and my couple of supplements, took them and made it through that evening. And whether or not that that was truly happening or there was placebo effect there, we utilize these supplements really often with our clients and they really see benefit from it, um, especially in those early days, but also even further on when we're struggling with um, uh, sugar cravings as I well. I love that. That's a nice tool that we can all implement. And for the amino, for the amino acids, is this something we can take every single day for the rest of our lives? 
So you do want to be careful with amino acid supplementation because they do, it does affect neurotransmitters. And if you're taking a medication like an SSRI or another type of uh, medication that is changing brain chemistry, you do want to be mindful. So typically you want to work with your doctor or healthcare practitioner to make sure this is something that's right for you. Um, a lot of times people don't need them long-term just because they can help them get through a lot of the challenges in the beginning, but it it's not harmful to take them in the long term. I do use certain things like L-theanine, for example, sometimes with clients who are experiencing ongoing anxiety. And so it's just a matter of, you know, I think getting the professional support and advice on that too, especially if you're if you're taking any other medications. But this is why I also launched my online programs, my online network, because this is a lot of what we talk about in that group setting and allows people to get a little bit of that one-on-one or individualized support. Yeah. And what do you think of like magnesium and ashwagandha? Yeah. So magnesium is a, is a great one. Another one that kind of influences this vicious cycle of drinking because magnesium is our body's relaxing mineral that if we are deficient in magnesium, we will have difficulty with unwinding, relaxing, sleeping, and magnesium is depleted when we drink alcohol, right? So, and what do we end up using alcohol for to induce those, those feelings? And so that's another one that can be really great for, especially anyone who's having trouble unwinding, relaxing, but also sleeping. So I definitely recommend magnesium. Ashwagandha and, and all of the other adaptogens, so things like rhodiola, um, schisandra, for example, they're all really great for helping to regulate and normalize cortisol. So I, I like using ashwagandha for some people. It is contraindicated for some with thyroid disorders, so you just want to be mindful of that. I also like rhodiola, which is another very energizing um, adaptogen. And so those can be really great to help boost energy, to help kind of normalize and regulate cortisol after long-term alcohol consumption. And I believe that we talk about some of those in the book as well. Yes, we do. Know you love L-glutamine. And I'm, as I've heard you speak on it, and then conversations I have all the time with so many people struggling with cravings. Mm-hmm. And, but in our culture, and our society, guess what they get? A drug. Mm-hmm. Then and then they have no idea that this whole world exists and this is so much more effective and aligned and will help your body heal. Can you just explain a little bit about how this works? Yeah, and that's a great point. So these are natural methods, right? Like these are tools that, you know, they're derived from from foods. It's all derived from amino acids are the building blocks of our protein. So also when you increase protein intake, you're going to get more of these amino acids that we need. But they work because amino acids are actually the building blocks of a lot of these brain neurotransmitters. So things like glutamine and L-theanine and tryptophan, they influence things like our serotonin and our dopamine levels and our GABA, GABA being one of our body's relaxing neurotransmitters. So actually the way that things like L-glutamine and L-theanine work is they influence the neurotransmitters in similar ways to the way that alcohol does. They enhance GABA, feelings of sensation of GABA relaxation, but they also help with reducing glutamate, which is the body's kind of revving neurotransmitter. It's kind of this activating or stimulating neurotransmitter. So it's almost like taking our foot off the gas and pressing on the brake, right? So these amino acids can influence the brain in a similar way that alcohol can. And so that's why we like to use that instead of a medication. Medications can, um, you know, have side effects and things like that too. And, And a lot of times we can you know, we, we start taking a medication and then we might be taking that long-term when really we can influence it through nutrients or foods, um, more naturally. Yeah. Now I have a question at what point does a person need to seek medical advice? Like, is -hmm. it, is it perhaps when they're social drinkers, they can actually taper down themselves and, you know, do the nutrition and supplements and different routines but like at what point does, do they need to be monitored, let's say, to get off of alcohol? Yeah. So I would say that, you know, anytime th- this, and this is one of the challenges of the past is like, 
we are not necessarily prompted in our medical visits to talk about alcohol. Um, a lot of times we feel uncomfortable bringing that up with our healthcare practitioner, um, especially if you're drinking more like close to daily or daily, you want to be consulting a, a practitioner to safely come down off of alcohol, to get some advice of, do you need medically supported detox? Do you need a little bit more support than just doing it on your own and white knuckling it? Um, for someone who's a social drinker and is drinking less frequently, the body is unlikely to go through those same detox symptoms that can be happening with uh, like daily or almost daily alcohol consumption. So, I mean, it doesn't have to be an MD that you open up to. It could be a nutritionist. It could be a mental health professional. It could be anyone who is uh, able to give you some type of feedback or counsel externally to help you kind of navigate if you need additional support or not. So really a lot of it is just coming to that point where we can be a little bit more open with our medical professionals or healthcare providers to, to get that support. And, and it's important because if we are consuming pretty high amounts of alcohol, there is, there, there is the potential that we could experience uh, seizures or other types of health effects from that. So it is best to double check with your practitioner. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Good question. Yeah. And beyond nutrition, are there other self-care practices that you would recommend for those on a sobriety, you know, on the sobriety journey? So many. Yeah. Um, first and foremost, I have to, I have to give a shout out for finding community and finding people that can support you. So part of why AA and some of those, um, you know, more traditional methods of sobriety, part of why they work is because of the community element. That's what they find in research that, you know, just finding people that can support you who don't drink, who, um, you know, the mentorship in those types of programs is part of the reason why they're as successful as they are. And so it's important to find other people around you that have that are like-minded, that are, are wanting to explore a similar lifestyle that you're interested in. That could be something like AA, or that could be many of any of the other many communities that exist today. Um, my Functional Sobriety Network is one, but there are really tons now that are geared toward different types of interest, moms groups, you know, wellness-oriented groups, um, groups that are for LGBTQ, you know, so finding one that works best for you. But in addition to that, you know, utilizing tools like meditation and other things that can help regulate the immune system and the nervous system. Um, I'm a big fan of uh, EFT, emotional freedom technique, or tapping. Tapping it has been shown to help regulate the nervous system. And that's what, again, we talked about this in the beginning. Erin mentioned that a lot of this is just seeking out ways to regulate our nervous system, right? Because we're overstressed, we're overstimulated, we're looking for something to help us relax. So any of the ways that we can change our nervous system and, and kind of the state we're in is going to be beneficial. Exercise, for example, can help do that too. Yes. It's it. really about a whole body approach. It's not just any one way. We still have to address the traumas and the mental health side of things. We still need to address, you know, the behavioral element and the habitual elements of these things. But really, it's about, um, you know, finding this new way of living and through all of these kind of complementary techniques. Mm. And I find you. you're feeling better. You're able to then address the trauma. Absolutely. You're the trauma and not doing this, it is holy hell. And you're not going to, most likely you will pick up again. But once you start healing physically, and you're like, you get those feel good chemicals, you have energy and your mindset shifts. You're like, I can talk about this now. And so it is a holistic approach in community with incredible experts. And, you know, my next question is, unless Michaela, you have another question before. I have so many, but I have, I go do. ahead. <laughs> five hours with you, but I know you're very busy. Um, we can always do a part two. You have to, I said that before you came on and go, Michaela, could we do this like, like a regular basis? And we can do like a more targeted one, let's say for hormones or for gut health or for brain yeah. health. So you listeners, let us know what you want to hear more about. Yeah. Erin, yeah, take it, it away. <laughs> um, so my question is, 
besides everyone, everyone needs to buy this book and just, oh my, and, and I love the recipes, by the way, we didn't even get into the, the recipes. Besides the book, which highly, highly recommend whatever type of drinker you are, wherever you are, even if you're just curious today, get this book. Besides this, what's the next best way if someone's like, oh my gosh, I need to connect with Dr. Scheller? Like, how does that, what's the easiest way to connect with you? Yeah. So I would head to functionalsobriety.com. That's where you can learn more about my online programs, my online network. Um, I run most of, well, not most, I run about 50% of our online meetings in the group. And so if you're interested in working with me, it's a great place to go to kind of dip your toe in, to start meeting people who are sober, sober curious, but also to kind of immerse yourself more in this approach. Um, also I post a lot of good stuff on Instagram at DR Dr. Brooke Scheller. Um, and, and I like to, you know, post some of these things about these vicious cycles and the nutrients that can help and all of that, because it's just these little bits of information, you know, even if you're new on this journey and you're still not really sure if you're sober, if you want to be sober, um, if, if you're just kind of getting started on this journey, picking up some of these books, the Quitlet books. Mine is one of many, many other amazing books in this space that you don't have to be, you know, diving in to make a change now. You don't have to be making any like sweeping decisions at this point, but it's really just about starting to explore. And I really believe that in our gut, our intuition knows what's what's the best next step for us. And if you're listening, if you've listened this far, um, you probably are interested. And so regardless of where you're at in that journey, just kind of starting to stay curious and explore this avenue. I know that my entire life changed in, in basically every way possible when I quit drinking. And it has allowed me to reach and achieve some of my biggest goals. And I know that that is possible for everyone. And I know that alcohol was holding me back so much. And it was one factor, just one factor in my life, right? Like that one, changing that one thing, even though it was a big thing, it changed everything, right? And I think we really know, like we know if it's holding us back. And that fear, I would challenge you to, to question if it's really fear or if it's excitement, um, because there's some... There's a really great quote that says fear is excitement without the breath. Yeah, I love it. Tuning into that. I love that. Tuning into Uh, that because I think there's something really exciting about what we experience on the other side of alcohol. Absolutely. And you will be guided along the way. I think it can be overwhelming for some to even take this on because it is in every part of their life. It is in their social life. It is in their partnership life. It is in the way they cope and the way they celebrate all of these things is alcohol is ingrained, but it's a one step at a time, one day at a time. And the next step will always unfold for you. You just have to have that faith and believe and just open your heart and your mind to it. It is there. It's, you know, we are proof. We are proof. Uh, I have a couple of, let's do like rapid fire questions. We have a couple more minutes, but I have some questions from our listeners and I have a question. What is your favorite recipe or and mocktail from your book? Cause I want to make one this week. Good. Good question. <laughs> so I have to say that, well, there's so many good ones. I know there's the so many desserts and oh some my gosh, fan favorites, the magic protein bread. It's on page 198. Um, It's three ingredients. The other are optional, Um, but it's three ingredients. It's this delicious high protein bread and you can make it sweet. You can make it savory. Highly, highly recommend high in protein, good snack, good to add on with breakfast. Um, So that's a great food recipe. I'm going to pick a second food recipe though, because that one is just kind of like a snack. Um, I'm going to have to go with my famous, the Dr. Brooks beet chocolate cherry smoothie on page 158. And beets are one of my favorite healing foods. And they're really good to have for breakfast because they help with oxygenation and blood flow to the brain. And most people are like beets for breakfast is crazy, but putting it in a smoothie and making it like a cherry, chocolate cherry, it's very good. And then from a beverage perspective, oh gosh, there's also so many good ones. Are you a mocktail girl? 
Yes and no. I mean, I like a mocktail every now and then, but I'm not like a huge mocktail fan. I'm more like a seltzer water, um, seltzer water girly, but the magnesium mineral mocktail is really good. It's a good, like before bed because it's got magnesium, which is going to help with relaxation. Um, and then also there's a garlic tea in there, which sounds really crazy, but it's so delicious and really good for the gut. Good for the heart. Um, Is it like a broth? No, it's a tea. You steep garlic at like a tea and you put some lemon, a little bit of honey in there. Um, it doesn't really taste, I mean, it tastes a little garlicky, but it is a, it's a really nice alternative to tea and it has a lot of health benefits. So that's good for the gut health. I love that. Okay. The next question I have is what do you think of continuous glucose monitoring gadgets and if they're worth it? Yeah. So I think they're really beneficial, especially even if you did it for the short term and you wore it for a couple of weeks, you can really see how your body is reacting to different foods. You can see if cravings, for example, are being triggered by low blood sugar. So even if you don't utilize it for the long term, you can get a lot of really interesting information using it for the short term. So yes. Beautiful. Uh, the next question that you list tons and tons of supplements, but how do you know which ones you're deficient in? Yeah, good question. So you could do testing and that will help you find out, but there's also, um, and also if you're interested in lab testing, my online course, you can actually order lab testing through there. So you could get it if you don't have access to it. Um, and also I walk you through what to test and how to know what's what, But a lot of the supplements and the ones that are in our functional sobriety packs, for example, ones like B vitamins, um, magnesium, some of the ones that most people are deficient in, they're pretty safe to take, even if your, your status is normal on some of them. So, um, you know, as long as you're taking ones that are safe to take in, you know, for the long term, you don't necessarily need to know your exact levels in order to take them. Amazing. And last question. Ask her details on a Philly event. What's a Philly event? Oh, there's an event in Philly on January (laughs) 20th, which I don't know when this is going out. So I don't know how relevant it will be. Um, But I'm taking part in several events across the country over the next couple of months. One of them is in Philly. It's called Dry Vibes. It's on January 20th. Beautiful. Well, this will be out on the 15th. So there'll be plenty of time to get tickets. Yeah, if you're in the Philly area, the Jersey Philly area please join. Um, But also please check out my Instagram. I have more information about my book tour stops, um, dates that I'll be in California and Florida, Boston, et cetera. So definitely check that out. Exciting. Yeah. Exciting. So, so happy for you. Um, you. My gosh, this was amazing. I hope you guys took notes or replay this again and just figure out what, where you are, where you are in this journey, what you need to do. Um, and if you have any questions, you can always DM us or um, Dr. Brooke Scheller on her Instagram. And we'll link everything in the show notes. Make sure you go out and get her book oh and review and all of the fun things. And thank you so much for your time today. It was really insightful. I really enjoyed this. Thank you. I will be thrilled to come back. So you just let me know when. Oh my gosh. It's a date. And For anyone listening, please be sure to subscribe and rate to our, um, to our podcast and follow us at two sober girls podcast. And we'll see you next week. Love you. Addiction impacts all of us. Addictions consequences run through all of us from ourselves to our loved ones and through our communities. Addiction creates so much loss and grief. My name is Dwayne Osterlin, and I'm the host of the Addicted Mind podcast, a show featuring personal stories, expert guests, and vital information about addiction and addiction recovery. We'll talk with leading treatment providers to discuss the latest research and treatment options for this devastating disease and advocate for mental health awareness. We discuss topics like the importance of creating a community of support to helping loved ones to some of the latest research on psychedelic medicines. The Addicted Mind podcast has been about creating hope listening to stories of many amazing people that have overcome addiction and are thriving. If you or a loved one is struggling with addiction, subscribe to the Addicted Mind podcast wherever you get your podcasts or check out theaddictedmind.com. New episodes every Monday. See you there.